I'm just going to take the time to read our scripture for this morning. And this is found in Colossians 1, 21 to 23. So you can find that in the Red Pew Bible on page 983, or it'll be up on the screen as well. Starting in verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not here by accident. You're not here because you just happen to be here. It's not by chance. He planned for you to be here. So let me pray, and then we're going to get started in our message, and then we're going to spend some significant time praying together, praising God and interceding for our community. And um, so let's pray. God, we are extremely thankful, humbled, that we can see you at work Um, right before us. Jesus, the scriptures say, as in the scriptures that we looked at last week, that your God made visible. And so this invisible God that people have a hard time touching and hearing and speaking to because you're not tangible This was pretty close to it, I think, this morning. And so, Lord, would you continue to make your presence known as that is what we're seeking. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we looked at verses 15 through 20. They are very, very important verses because they tell us who Jesus is. And if you ever question who Jesus is, you just look back to those six verses and and they will kind of give you that sense if you just sit and meditate and study upon them because if you just glance over them they they are very theologically dense so you can just kind of glance over them without seeing that Jesus is the visible God that he is creator God that he is head of the church the reconciler of all things and all of that is in those six verses from those six verses Paul moves into these next three verses that we're going to be looking at this morning Continuing on this subject of reconciliation by considering what the Colossians used to be and what they have become. That their lives have been completely transformed because they've come into this knowledge of a transformative God or a God that can transform their lives. So in verses 15 through 20, we are told who Jesus is. Verses 21 through 23, we're told who a follower is of Jesus is. So let's start by who we once were. Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So we look back to verse 7, and according to verse 7, it was Epaphras. 
Epaphras was the person who shared the gospel with the Colossians and, and their lives were transformed by the good news of Jesus, Paul wrote reminding them of how they were before. Before Epaphras came and shared these things with them, one of the evidences of a Christian is that we recognize who we once were without Jesus, that there was a time before where we were going down a path and a trajectory without Jesus, and then here's this description of all of us before knowing Jesus, that we were alienated from God. The thing about alienation is it creates this us and versus them mentality, right? Because the alien is the them. And then we start putting them as the pronoun as opposed to all of us. That's a really, really dangerous thing to do, and hopefully that was something that we weren't guilty of when we were talking about Nino and the homeless folks and that, that it wasn't ever really them. And I, I hope that came across, and if it didn't, uh, I apologize for that misunderstanding, but, but we don't want to them them. Right? And so that's one of the issues about reconciliation is we create these parties and we, we them them. The, the prophet Isaiah recorded this for us in Isaiah 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus, is he doesn't want to them. He, he wants to gather. He wants to bring us in. He wants to reconcile. And it's difficult for some to accept the, that people have this sin nature that have alienated us from God, a God who actually wants to pull us back in. There are people who believe that we are good by nature and that we're actually not all that far from God at all. That's not what the Bible teaches, whether it's Isaiah in the Old Testament or uh, Paul in the New Testament, that we are separated, we are alienated from God because of our iniquities, because of our sins. If you ever question whether this is true or not, and you're like, oh no, but look at babies. <laughs> I think I can end there. We're born with a sin nature. I mean, you just look at babies. If you have them, this is not a debatable issue. You know. Now, if you don't have them, maybe you're arguing, oh no, no. Then I challenge you to serve in the toddler ministry just one Sunday. <laughs> they are... Adorable. They are absolutely cute. They're the cutest things on earth. And it has to be that way. God created them that way because if He didn't, no one would want to be around them. Right? So those are cute, adorable, sinful things. Now, Paul wrote something similar to the Ephesian church because they are people and they're no different from anyone else when it comes to our sin nature. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There may be some here this morning who are separated from Christ. And God doesn't want that to continue. 
uh, last Friday night, just a couple days nights ago, it was a really, really beautiful thing. We had the Amani Children's Choir here, and um, they put two public concerts on in Lake Merritt um, to just kind of share Jesus and to invite people here on Friday night. They handed out over 400 flyers um, and invited people, and then this room was predominantly people from them passing out flyers at the lake. I mean, I think there were like 10 regen people, something like that. There wasn't that many, but the rest were just like lake people from our neighborhood. Um, it was incredible. It was, it was just magical. And we did share that God desires to reconcile with them. We did share with them that God knows exactly where their pains are and their fears are, just like he did for all these children that were up here who were sharing their testimonies of where they were before alienated from God and where they are now. It was a, a beautiful message of the good news of Jesus, that in a world that is full of alienation, that God desires reconciliation in a world that is hostile in mind toward God, that God isn't hostile in mind toward us. In a world that is antagonizing God and where we antagonize one another, God is not there antagonizing us. That we do evil deeds against God and each other, but God does not do evil deeds to us. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Our ungodliness, our unrighteousness further separates us from God. It, it perpetuates the darkness. It perpetuates the brokenness. And one of the biggest problems we have is that we believe ourselves to be God. And rather than accepting the word of God, instructing us about who we are and how we are to live, we are preoccupied with dictating that for ourselves. That we have this incredibly strong desire to determine who we are for ourselves and how we are to live for ourselves. And if anyone is to disagree with us, then curse them. Because how dare they question what I do and how I identify with things and how I live my life. And the really, really hilarious, funny, and maybe even sad thing is that if you can't tell me what to do, but I can tell you what to do. And we have this idea that, you know, you can't tell me what to do and how I live and how I identify myself, but I can tell you how you're supposed to think. And so the world likes to tell us how to think about things, but don't tell them how to think. And I find this kind of weird irony there, this kind of hypocrisy there, that I can determine how I want to live and how I identify myself, and don't you tell me, but I can tell you. See, the hypocrisy isn't cornered by just Christians. We're all full of hypocrisy. We're all full of irony. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We all know that our world is a dark and a broken place. We don't have to look very far because all we have to do is pop open a history book and we can read it all in there. And how do you think we got to where we are today? It's just been this continuum of brokenness and darkness throughout humanity. Now, people may attribute that darkness to, say, the environment that they were brought up in or other outside social factors that lead them to do this evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 20. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. It's not these outside environments. It's not these things we grew up with. That evil is already in each one of us. It's what alienated us from God so On a personal level, this hostility was already in our minds. Doing evil, we don't have to learn that. We do that naturally. And our condition is revealed in simply our behavior, our conduct. Our our hearts are sinful by nature. And if this is in each one of us individually, of course it spills into our communities, whether that is a local community or on the global scale, the global community. And as long as Jesus is rejected from an individual as the reconciler, so will all that individual be alienated from God. So it isn't a surprise our world is in the condition that it is because we have so many people who are alienated from God, including some who profess to be Christians. That even though they profess Christianity, within them is still a hostility in mind and in them is still evil deeds. We do need to receive Jesus as the reconciler between us and God. And by faith, we will be reconciled with God. By faith, we receive this knowing that we won't be perfect, but hopefully on a path to be more like Jesus. Verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We are reconciled by Jesus Christ's physical body. This is important. It's important because there are some who try to explain that the spirit of Christ is what's important and it's not the actual person. No, it's Jesus, the incarnate God, 
is all important in this matter of reconciliation. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We are looking at this again. Uh, starting in verse 12, I'll read that and then go down to verse 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now look at 13. But now, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's a physical thing. It's not just this spiritual thing. Who you once were, separated from Christ, but now brought near to Christ, that Jesus died for our sin. Now, let's not sugarcoat this, because I think a lot of people do. Let's not dilute the death of Jesus on the cross, because people want to make the crucifixion sort of like crucifixion light. I didn't say that they don't want to kind of talk about these things. But there is a lot of talk that I've been hearing more and more that Jesus died to take away your shame or to take away your guilt or to take away pain, fear, and all these different types of things that they're trying to make synonymous to sin. But it's not. Those are all symptoms of a deeper thing. And yes, his death does take away those things. Don't get me wrong. But what's behind the shame? What's behind the guilt? What's behind the fear? What's behind the pain? Sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin. It doesn't say shame. It doesn't say fear. It doesn't say guilt. It says sin. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's sin that separated us from God. We've gone astray and God placed those iniquities of ours upon Jesus who takes away the sin and if we could live without sin there would be no purpose in Jesus dying for us. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if you could do it yourself Jesus wouldn't have to die for you. If you could live that good life yourself. Look at Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. You can't do it. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. This isn't 
just New Testament good news. It's in the Old Testament also. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now, let's go to... Verse 22, Colossians, the second part of that. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus died to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach. Holy meaning you have a special purpose. You are not common. You are not for common purposes. You are for a special purpose that is pure. So if you have a holy spoon, that holy spoon is only used for one particular purpose. It's not used to depit avocados and then scrape avocados, right? That spoon is specifically for whatever you set it out for, therefore it is holy. It is not a multi-purpose spoon. We were set aside for that. You have a specific purpose. You're not just for everything in the world to live whatever way, to do whatever you want, to think however you do. You're not common. You are special. You are set aside. You have a special purpose to present us blameless, meaning this is beautiful. There's no blame game with God. Right? There, there's no, like, man, that's your fault. You shouldn't have done that. That he receives you just as you are and to present us above reproach, meaning like there, there aren't any accusations. I mean, don't you hate accusations? False accusations are, are the worst. They're the worst. But then there aren't any accusations from God, even though he knows the whole truth and everything about a situation. He knows every single thing. He doesn't use it as a weapon against us. You're above reproach with Jesus. Verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Focus on this, these words here. Stable and steadfast. And you can think of like grounded or firmly established, that you know, you're anchored in. And this is speaking in terms of perseverance in faith. Perseverance in faith. It's an absolutely essential element in our relationship with Jesus. This is all over the Bible. And our faith will be continuously and regularly challenged throughout our lives. And we can't let people or circumstances shake us from being stable and steadfast in our faith. Jesus said, John chapter 8, verse 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Hold on. Persevere. Don't let go. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 43. This is when Paul and Barnabas are working together here, and they said this. They urged them to continue in the grace of God. Don't give up. Keep going. No matter how difficult that person is that is challenging you or that circumstance is that is challenging you, no matter how difficult they are, keep going. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. 
we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Hold on. Dave, thank you for holding on. I'm really glad you're staying in Oakland. You got to hold on. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to hold on to the gospel. We have to hold on to the good news remaining in Jesus Christ. Now, what does this look like? How do we practically do this? Let me end with Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Put it into practice. Stable and steadfast. Persevere. Grounded in the love of Jesus. Firmly established in the good news of Jesus. Putting into practice what the scriptures tell us. If you can just find a small group of four or five people to pray with. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray for people who aren't reconciled with God. And they can be in this room I don't know. They can be from Friday, and I do know there are many who aren't reconciled with Jesus there. And we can pray for them. That Some of them said that they were going to be coming back to church on Sunday, and you might even be in this room here. I don't know, but I'm glad you're here. And it's not an accident that you're here. Just as it wasn't an accident that this children's choir came from halfway around the world to like suddenly be here. I don't know if you guys know the story, but this children's choir from Uganda has been touring the United States. They will tour for six months, but so far it's been three months. The place that they, they were going to stay, the, the plumbing burst, and uh, they didn't have a place to stay. So we got a call, I think it was Saturday night, Friday night, Brian? When did you call them? Friday night. For, to stay here like on Sunday morning or what I don't remember when it was. It was like a day later or something like that for like a whole week. We didn't plan that. And then we didn't plan these outreaches on the lake on Wednesday to hold these two public concerts and then to have like this Friday concert. Like this was all done less than a week. Like we just were like, oh, let's, let's do that. Like Billy with just like his love for people and his desire for people to be reconciled with God kind of was like, yeah, let's, let's go to the lake and do these concerts and then we're going to come here on Friday. And I was like, dude, go ahead. Like, <laughs> I was like, I, go for it, you know, go for it. And, and it happened and this room was full of people from around the Bay Area. I met a woman from Richmond. I met a woman from like the North Bay and from San Francisco and from San Lorenzo and People just walk in the lake, right? Just enjoying the lake and we meeting them and here they were. So we're going to pray for those people. because there, there were quite a few that need Jesus. And we're going to pray for the people in this room that if you're far from Jesus, today's your day. 
So if you can gather in groups of four or five, and, and we're going to spend about five minutes praying, and then we'll see what happens next. Maybe we'll get another choir. I don't know. Let's, let's pray. pray, God, for all of those who attended those uh, concerts on Friday, those who do not yet know you as the reconciler, that you would draw them in, that the seed had been planted, and that they would be nourished to maturity. I pray, God, for people in this room who may be distant from you knowing that you desire reconciliation, to free them from that bondage of sin that can therefore set them free from fear and guilt and pain in a way that doesn't necessarily mean that tangibly it leaves, but God, that they would have the Almighty by their side walking with them throughout life knowing that you are the comforter. In Jesus' name, amen.